this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebound and Safety. Today we're talking about that Irish article. Yeah, that one. You know which one it is. You must know which one it is. Today we're talking about investigative interviewing. I'm really a bit nervous about today's intro, uh, today's uh, conversation. Let's get into the intro and we'll get into it. And safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing a stereotype. Brought to you by Risplit. Okay, let's do this. Oh, I'm nervous. Oh, I'm nervous. I'm real nervous. This could go horribly wrong. Right, if you haven't read the article, then where have you been? If you haven't seen the subsequent debates on LinkedIn, then where have you been? Get yourself on LinkedIn. Start reading the magazine. I don't really read the magazine, if I'm honest. I just read shit that people share on LinkedIn. Um, Oh... I let's let's just give a shout out to the sponsors first, and then and then we'll go from there. Yeah. So, um, firstly, I'm, I'm I'm like I'm like mega nervous about this. There's there's a lot of contentious feelings around this debate and this this so-called debate anyway. And um, and and I am very aware that at the base of this there is still a human being. Um, so anyway, let's let's get into. I'll touch on that more in a minute. Let's get into the sponsors for this. Let me turn this down a little bit. Okay, firstly, a little shout out to Paradigm Human Performance and more specifically the HC subscription service. You've all heard this many times before, but those of you that are SME businesses, uh, you may be a safety professional for that SME business, or you're probably, you know, more likely in those really small businesses, you're more than likely going to be an operational professional and safety is normally something that you're you know a conscious you care about uh, but actually with all the plates you're spinning and all the balls you're juggling you know it, it, it's it's not something you've got time to really focus on and do you know what don't don't beat yourself up about that do not beat yourself up about that that's life that really is life but paradigm human performance HT subscription service has the solution for you it's a monthly subscription service it's targeted at companies like yourself to try and help you out to try and put worker safety at the dna of what you do to try and help you understand and appreciate and benefit from the subject matter expertise of the worker paranoid human performance's global goal is to just educate people man they are phenomenal and this is a human organizational performance expert business so the compliance system you've got is going to tick all those legal regulatory uh industry compliance kind of boxes but it's going to be like decluttered already. It's going to be human organizational performance streamlined. It's going to be woven through it. So it's literally the perfect answer for those small businesses that are looking for some or some extra support. So all the details in the description below. There's their phone number, email address. You want to go straight into it. If you're not sure, I'll put the website there below and you can get 
onto their website and check into their learning organizational webinar, which is absolutely class. Everyone should be just going on that anyway. It's every Thursday, reams and reams of quality educational content. But also, if you're thinking about going into business with them um, and, and, and employing them, then you can... Um, you can meet them. You can meet the whole team. You know, there's uh, normally there's uh, the America side and the UK side of the organization on that webinar. So you can have a real good insight into parallel human performance. Go check them out, people. I would not have aligned with them if I didn't really believe and trust and, and just feel what they're doing. I just totally get it. Great company. And Teresa is CEO and founder. No, not the CEO. The direct, a director and the founder is um, an absolutely amazing lady. Okay, one last shout out to Paradigm. I've already done Paradigm. One last shout. You can tell I'm a bit nervous about this, can't you? Um, I had to have like a, well, I say I had to have. I had a little uh, glass of cider just to uh, loosen the lips a little bit and get, get the nerves going. And uh, I'm starting to regret it already because <laughs> this is more loose than ever already. And we're like five minutes in. Just a quick shout out to Project Miletium. Project Miletium is my and Colin Nottage's little company, little uh, commercial venture, so to speak, little side hustle, if you want to call it that. What is it? It's a mastermind community for the safety people, for risk people, for operational people that deal with risk and safety. Um, it, it, it is that. It's, that. it's what it says on a tin, people. You know, it is a mastermind community. We have weekly calls, weekly community calls where we're solving people's problems. The community's coming together, solving each other's problems. We're now about to launch um, on the 14th of July. We're going to launch a monthly philosophy call, which relates really nicely with today's conversation. Um, it just shows how much we're lacking these philosophical understandings of philosophical conversations, uh, which we'll get into today. Also, we run a book club once a month and we run a quarterly wagon wheel, which is a massive mastermind event, basically. Three and a half hours, Saturday morning, 8 a.m., smash it out, get some uber motivation, uber goal setting, uber educational shit, and then off you go, enjoy your Saturday once a quarter. Of the members we've got, they're loving it, but you know what? You, you, you're not going to believe that until you're in it. So why don't you just come and try a call, completely free of charge, message me, James McPherson, or you come message me on Rebounding Safety, you'll get hold of Colin Nottage, or, or, or message us at Project Miletium as well. All the details of everything, how to connect with me, Project Miletium, Rebounding Safety, all in the description below. So go check that out, or show notes, because it's a podcast. Okay. Let's get into it. I'm going to take a breath for a second. All right. Let's do this. So, there is an article published in IOSH, okay? I'm not going to talk about today the subsequent article published by IOSH, which is called Hide and Seek. Um, I'll do a separate episode on that because I've got some comments about that. Um, this article was published on the on, on their website anyway. It was in a magazine as well, but on their website, Thursday the first of July, um, how to conduct an effective accident investigation interview. It says Andy Farrell, chartered member of IOSH. Um, now my experience with IOSH and uh, and their magazine writing, I, this this alludes to it being written by Andy Farrell, but actually it's not it's not being written by Andy Farrell. Um, it is. And Andy Farrell was interviewed by a journalist and the article was written by a journalist. So essentially this article is kind of ghost written based on the interview. 
I think that's something to take in context here. Um, whilst Andy would have proofed the article normally, and he may have not, um, but I've not had any indication that he hasn't. Um, he 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 would have had a proof to he would have had a chance to proof it. Um, but that's just something worth considering. This is not actually his writing. So today I'm going to get into some notes I've made about this article. I'll link the article in the in the show notes. But if you want to search it outside of that link, it's how to conduct an effective accident investigation interview. Or you can just go onto my LinkedIn page and you'll see it in my posts and comments. Literally all I've been doing all week. Okay, so firstly, there's just something to, to kind of uh, point out here in that. Oh, I'm just music. So I'm sorry. Oh, there we go. Andy Farrell, chartered member of IOSH, is classed in this article, classed as a health and safety investigator. Never something, never come across that before in my entire career, other than somebody who who works for the HSC. But, okay, maybe that's something for us to consider. Maybe that is a specialist role. I'm thinking back to that video I did where we talked about those three different types of safety professionals, a kind of more compliance focused systems auditor kind of person, a more human factors cultural kind of person, and that more engineer person. Maybe this is another specialist role within your team if, you're, if your business is big enough, if your resources are big enough to have a specialist investigator. If not, and for the rest of this conversation, I'm going to assume it's the if not option, then we need to do better at training, which I'll talk about later on. So I would like to say in this article, I am not criticizing directly Andy's writing, because as I pointed out, it is not Andy's writing, it's the journalist's writing. For those of us that really want to understand Andy's point of view, we either need to talk to Andy ourselves, which I'm trying to do uh, on the podcast. Hopefully he's going to come on a podcast and talk to me. And uh, Andy, if you choose to listen to this, and I, I really hope you do, mate. Um, granted, my uh, comments might have got a bit too passionate, a bit overtly passionate, and I might have, um, in my usual style, swore a little bit in my comments. But to be honest, that is my style. I'm just a sweary kind of guy. Um, but, but I would like to publicly, in front of my own audience, uh, apologise for you if you did get offended by any of my comments, which I know you did because you, you kind of pointed it out to me on LinkedIn, and I respect that. And I came back to you and I apologise for offending you. Um, I had no intention of doing that. Um, that my passion for this subject got 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 uh, the best of me, so to speak. So, again, publicly, in front of my own audience, I apologise for offending you. I had no intention to do that. And I openly invite you onto this podcast to have a healthy discussion about this because I think um, I see rebrand safety as a place to do that. I, I actively actually approach people that I don't agree with because I frankly, I, I find those conversations much more interesting. Um, and I think it's something that we don't do very well in our profession is have healthy um, conversations with people we don't agree with. Um, and whilst my behavior on LinkedIn might not have reflected that, I can do that. I believe I can. Um, so please accept this as an open invite to come on to Rebrand and Safety, um, Andy. I will now go into the article that you're involved into um, and, and go through my comments, of which most of them don't agree with your writing. Um, but I, again, think that's healthy and I should do it in the most professional way I see possible. Okay. Like a minefield, this like it's nearly as bad as the uh, as a diversity mini series I'm building at the moment. I, I have no intention of really upsetting anyone, um, but I am very aware of my own passion, my own 
frustration with the organization that published this. Um, so I don't want them to get mixed up with Andy and and uh, and um, yeah, I don't want I don't want uh, anyone else to kind of feel that that they're, they're getting the criticism that actually I feel is due to the organization that published this. So let's get into my notes. The first paragraph, I'm going to start off on the first paragraph. The first paragraph reads, contrary to popular belief, the aim of the accident investigation interview is not to find who is guilty and who can be blamed. It is to discover the truth of what has happened. Once it is known, measures can be put in place to stop it happening again. I completely agree with that statement. We are not there to find out who is guilty. I don't think that's our job, and I think a lot of... Um, safety science will agree with that i think a lot of safety science supports that and i think a lot of the direction that safety science human organizational performance whatever you want to call it it is safety too safety differently resilience engineering blah 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 it all agrees with that i think it really does for me the interesting point here is truth it, and i'll read that again it is to discover the truth so our job is to discover the truth of what's happened for me, truth is an interesting choice of words, one that's come up in the subsequent debate on LinkedIn. You know, and, and, and this is where I think these philosophy calls of Project Militum, which actually, I will pause there, it's worth me saying here in this podcast that my comments in this are, are not the Project Militum comments. This is the Rebrand and Safety po podcast. This is James McPherson's thoughts and opinions. Um, Project Millennium will be doing something about this this article because we feel like it's our... our, our a place to to add something to the to the conversation so we will be doing that we'll but we'll be doing it from a project Meletium account so you'll understand very clearly this is their their thoughts or their content and so on and so forth and by they i mean me and colin and the community of our membership so yeah right all that crap out of the way truth for me is a really interesting choice of words truth is is something that's relative it's to my point of the kind of thing that we lack within Project Miletium within the industry is what we're doing in Project Miletium is philosophical conversations and that's why we've spotted it in Project Miletium we've gone we need to provide a solution there and us and Simon are, are trying to do that and I, and I know that Simon does a hell of a lot of work on this stuff in his spare time so ask yourself the question what really is truth truth is for me in just my opinion it's, it's something that's really personal like truth is relative you know, there's some people out there that believe it's true that the earth is flat. There's some people out there that think it's true that God's writings are the truth. And they think that there's some people out there like me that think that science is the truth. Are oh, stupid or we're liars or we're, we're removed from reality. Truth is very relative. Very relative. For some people, God is true. For some people, science is true. And who am I to say that? Just because I believe in science, that the people that believe in God are wrong, and who are they to say that I'm wrong? It's relative. So, I think when we're thinking about talking about the truth, I think truth is not also is also not relative. I think truth also evolves. I mean, for God's sake, we used to dunk women underwater to see if they were witches. For God's sake, truth is not only relative, but it's evolving. Therefore, I would ask the question, is the safety professional really competent to find said truth? I would also ask, is it our job to find the truth? Which I'll get into later on. I feel that this sentence here contradicts the first paragraph. This is a sentence in the second paragraph. 
It says, because the interviewee might have something to hide. So I'll read the whole paragraph. Unlike the management interview, where the manager drives things forward, in an accident investigation, the interview dynamics are, can be totally different because the interviewee might have something to hide. But in the first interview, we said our job is not to find it, find who's guilty. But, but we are very aware that they have something to hide. So I, I feel like our lines of responsibility within this process are getting skewed very early on in this in this article. We, we, we're not really sure what we're trying to achieve here. I think for me, that's, that's what I can read here. I do note also in the first line of this paragraph, unlike a management interview, unlike a management interview. So the author of this clearly sees a difference between a management interview where the aim is to drive things forward in an accident uh, to drive things forward in an accident invest investigation they see that as totally different so there are two different types of interviews in an accident investigation so i think that's an, another bit of context there for us to consider i'm going to scroll through into the next section which is entitled pe preparation the room itself must be somewhere quiet Police interview rooms are quite spartan for a reason. You don't want anything to distract the interviewee. You want them to concentrate solely on your interview. Now I've made a comment here and I'll, and I'll read it out straight away. Uh, kind of raw, you know what I mean. I won't paraphrase my own notes. <laughs> Whilst we can learn from police interviews, can we really copy the style of their, of, of their interviewing? Just think about that for a second. I'll give you some music conducive to concentrating. That's really not conducive to it. Uh, to interviewing? Oh man, I'm all over the place. I'd like to blame it on the cider, but I'm like this all the time. Con conducive to what, reflecting. That's what I meant to say. I just, I, let, let's just think about that again. Whilst we can learn from the police, can we really copy their style? Where do you think I'm going with this? I wish you were here. I wish you were in this conversation so you could kind of bounce off of it. For me, I think it's because the police system, the the interview process, the investigation process of the police service is completely different. They are literally there for retributive reasons. They are there to find someone to blame. They are lit. They literally exist to find culpability. The police service does not exist to stop something happening again. Whilst they might learn and they might then take those things and, and, and it proactively, well, actually that's incorrect. They do exist to stop something happening again. Of course they do. And they'll put the laws in place and so on and so forth. But my point is that in the interview, their primary focus, and I'm not a copper, I'm not an ex-copper, so I, I have no idea, but... I'm going to stab a guess. Their primary focus is to catch the person that did it. But we just said in the top in the top paragraph, our, our aim is to not find who's who's guilty. So, why, if if that's the case, why are we taking our, our full inspiration on how to set up the room from police interviews? I, I just think this is messy. I just think we really don't really know what we're trying to achieve here. Modern day science is taking the safety profession from retributive over to restorative. It's taking us over to a learning position. Whereas for me, this article is very much focused on 
retributive. It's very much focused on, on, on finding somebody to blame. Okay, I'm going to scroll on to the next section, which is called weighing up the evidence. And it says, when it comes to assessing evidence, follow the ABC protocol. Accept nothing at face value. Believe nothing without checking it and check everything. Now, what's, I, I kind of get what the author is saying here. Um, we want to get as much context as possible, 100%. Um, but for me, I think it's the tone. which and, and again, this is what's come up a lot of the time in these subsequent interviews. Accept nothing at face value. Okay, we're going we're gonna to go and check it then. We're going to check everything. It, it's the tone that that's written that's written in like surely the interviewees the, the interviewees experience their account of that experience is, is their account that is a fact so if that account if if that account contradicts with other facts eg no i didn't walk down there at five past two and then we know the CCTV has shown that that the employee walking down there at, at five past two. We would maybe say, what about the CCTV though that shows that you're walking down there at five past two? Like, try and explain that to me, buddy. It, it's, it just, yeah, just accept nothing at face value really doesn't sit well with me. Like the tone of it doesn't sit well with me. I think if if their statement contradicts from what we deem as well, it contradicts another fact. I'm going to avoid using the word truth because I think truth is relative. But so if if one fact, e.g., their statement contradicts with another fact, e.g., CCTV, then those that that the combination of those two contradicting itself becomes a fact. Does that make sense? So. This contradicts with this. The fact they contradict is a fact. Both facts are facts. But if one contradicts with the other, it becomes a fact itself. The contradiction becomes a fact. So it's gone from two facts to one fact. But you might say, but that guy's obviously lying. So how is that a fact? Well, it's a fact that he's lying, isn't it? Therefore, that statement is a fact. Whether it's true or not, whether he's intentionally, he or she is intentionally misleading the truth or or, or unintentionally misleading the truth, they wrote that statement and the statement itself is a fact. I, I hope that makes sense, but that, that's where I'm coming at from at this. So like, for example, if I'm doing an accident investigation, that becomes context that we then look into. So we're going through this process, we're, we're collecting as much data as possible, collecting the context, collecting the context, collecting the context. And then later on, we're going to come back to all the content and pick, pick text and pick some of the bits out that are more significant. And we're going to kind of five why the shit out of that stuff to try and find a root contributing factor to that, that context of the incident, if that makes sense. So for me, the tone again is an issue. But for me, I, I think this, this whole concept of the truth is, is confusing the matter. In addition with we're not really sure of what we exist for, what we're trying to achieve. Um, I think at the top we say we're, we're not trying to achieve to find somebody guilty, but actually throughout the whole uh, document, I think that's how it reads. Okay, moving on to the next section. Next section is called body language. I've highlighted a paragraph that reads as follows. As you question the interviewee, watch their reactions. You may find that the person who has been looking in your eye suddenly won't look in your eye after one particular question. 
on its own, that's not an indication of lying. They might be simply thinking. Instead, look for clusters with two or three anomalies all happening at the same time. For example, they're no longer you looking at they're no longer looking at you in the eye. There's a significant change in voice and they're now crossing their arms. It's not a guarantee that something's going on, but it's a sign of something to follow up. This, this for me just shows the naivety of the body that the organization's magazine that this, this is from, in my opinion, or, or even the laziness. I'd go so far to say the laziness of it. Um, just, just have a think about you're, 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 a, you're an organization. You're, you're the CEO of an organization that represents the profession that you're writing this material to and you do not provide currently training courses that, that allow you to do these types of interviews you're very aware that our educational system e.g our qualifications don't provide that type of skill either and you write a statement like this as you question the interviewee, watch their reactions, you may find that the person who has been looking in, in your eye suddenly won't look in your eye after one particular question. On its own, that's not an indication of lying, but they might be simply look they might be simply thinking instead. Sorry, I missed messed that sentence up. On its own, it's not an indication of lying. They might be simply thinking. Instead, look for clusters of two or three anomalies all happening at the same time. For example, they're no longer looking in your eye. In your eye, there's a significant change in voice, and they're now crossing their arms. Just have a think about that. Like, you, that's not enough. That's not enough for me to be able to tell someone the psychology of someone's body language. Just read that one paragraph, and all of a sudden, I'm a fucking expert on on body language. Even if you read the, the, the a book about it, it's not enough. Jesus Christ. Like, I just think that this is so either lazy or naive or just damn right stupid to publish a comment like that when this is really, really complex. There's loads of evidence, like, um, scientifically speaking, I've, I've been led to believe by, by people that I know that work in the police force, um, to say that the I left and right stuff is a load of bullshit, um, which to be fair, they kind of allude to where they say, you know, it's not an indication of lying on its own. I, I kind of get that. However, this stuff takes years of training, years of training. So even if, which I don't agree with, but even if we did exist to catch someone out and find out if they're lying, our current educational system is nowhere near enough to allow us, to enable us to do that. So I, I don't think it's the fault of even the journalist writing this or the author of the original text, uh, e.g. the book. I, I just I think it's ultimately the fault of our educational system within our profession and our current representation of our profession that, that do not give us the skills we need to actually do our, our role or don't even do any work to actually define what our role really is in the modern world. Moving on to the next section, length. Uh, I've highlighted the second paragraph in here, which is the last paragraph. 
says, so give them a break, but try not to let them go for a walkabout where they can gather their wits. Politely offer them a coffee or a sandwich in the interview room, and of course, let them go to the loo, but keep the impetus going. I mean, Jesus Christ. So give them a break, but try not to let them go for a walkabout where they can gather their wits. So we're not even letting these people out of the room now. Like they're arrested or something. We are not the police force. Like this, this, that line for me was the worst one. That is the one that really made me uncomfortable. It really made me uncomfortable. Again, Andy, if you're listening to this and just my opinion, mate. And, I, and I'm happy, I am really happy for, for us to repeat this episode going through it. I'll make my points and you can you can kind of come back on it. I really am happy to do that. And I'd love I'd love to hear your, your kind of feedback as well. Um, I wholly disagree with that line. I think that is one of the worst for me. We work so hard in the safety profession to build relationships and to build psychological safety in the workplace. And this is literally advising you to tr- keep somebody, to force as much as you can, is to try and force somebody to stay in a room and then not let them out. Oh, it's just uber stressful. And I just think it destroys relationships. And I just think, I, I, I don't even think we have the right to do anything like that. I think oh, that line for me just makes me so uncomfortable. It makes me more uncomfortable to think that people are gonna think that and go, yeah, yeah, that's right. When 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 I'm interviewing somebody, I'm not gonna do. That. I'm not gonna let them out of the room. Yeah, that's. We are not coppers, man. We are not coppers. We are safety professionals. We are not police officers, and we are not professional interviewers trying to catch who's guilty. Okay, I'm gonna skip uh, the next section, which is called the peace process, because overly overall, yeah, there's nothing in there that I overly disagree with or have any kind of significant agreement or comments on um i'll move to the next section which is dynamics so i've highlighted the second paragraph oh it's come through the second paragraph on my document let me see if it is yes it is second paragraph it says here i recommend using a softly softly approach rather than saying the interviewee isn't being clear be apologetic say it's your own fault when you can't follow when you can't follow don't offend the interviewee give them the excuse to leave the room and rethink. Oh, sorry. Don't offend the interviewees. That will give them the excuse to leave the room and rethink. Again, don't give them the excuse to leave the room and rethink. Like these people are like proactively trying to mislead us. Like seriously, if we think our jobs are that fucking important to some people, like get over yourself. Like your work, your there's loads of fucking work out there. And maybe we're like, oh, no, they're actually trying to protect their mate, which did something which ultimately ended up in somebody being fatally harmed or, or, or seriously harmed. Maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe they're trying to protect themselves so, so they do want to lie. Maybe, but maybe that's because they think that you're going to blame them in the first place, which comes to the pre-existing culture of that organisation. If they've been negligent, like if that person's been wholly negligent, that's very different. It's very different. And it's not our job. It's the HSE and police force job to do that stuff. It is not my job to find out who is guilty. It's a police force's fault. Job, sorry. Why? Because 
if someone's been negligent, a person, not a company, if a person has been wholly negligent, e.g., excuse me, I'm just eating a mint, they've been wholly negligent, therefore, they're at fault, meaning, like, they just drove the forklift into Steve because they thought Steve was a prick. That is not my job to find that out. And in my experience from conversations with people, a lot of the time, the police force and the HSE will tell you not to investigate. They'll take over. You won't even get a chance to do this shit. So if you're not in a situation where the HSE are involved, or the police force are involved, then why are we treating it like it's something out of fucking line of duty? That's that's what just doesn't make sense to me. And the whole thing is kind of messy. Um, we're really not... Like, what's the context of this environment? Are we interviewing somebody because they slipped up? Are we interviewing somebody because they drove a forklift into Steve? It, it's not a one-size-fits-all. And, and, and in my honest opinion, I don't think that this size fits any, but that's just my opinion. I think there are a lot of stuff we can take from this, maybe. Um, little tips and tricks, or, or or maybe even the the original author's expertise. Like, I'm not questioning that in any way, shape, or form. The guy's like a proper experienced kind of police force, elite, interviewer, detective, whatever. I don't devalue any of that experience at all. I just, I just question whether it's right for our profession. But mainly my issue with this is the tone. Like, don't let them out. Um, and, and again, the tone might not be the intent of the author, the original author, e.g. Andy. It might not have been his intent for it to come across like this. We don't know. You would only know if you read his own writing, which is book. Um, which I am going to do as a result of this. I bet his sales have gone through the roof. Um, moving on to the next section, conversation management. Um, point one, interviewee stage. The subject tells their story in their own time without interruption. If they drift off topic, bring them back gently, but generally let them talk. As they speak, make noise to indicate you are actively listening and they should carry on. The more they talk, the more information they reveal, so keep them talking. For me, again, this is just an issue with tone. The most of this paragraph makes sense. A lot of it I agree with. The subject of the story, the, the sorry, the subject, I, I'm not a fan of calling them subject, but anyway, let's just forget that. The human, let me replace it with the human, with feelings, um, tells the story in their own time without interruptions. If they drift off topic, bring them back in gently, but generally let them talk. As they speak, indicate to you to them that you are actively listening. I completely agree with all of those points. It's the last line that completely changes the tone. The more they talk, the more information they will reveal. So keep them talking. It just changes the whole tone of it. Which, it doesn't change the whole tone because the whole article is written in that tone. But it comes back to this, we're here to catch you out. But yet, at the top paragraph, it says we're not here to find out who's guilty. So what are we here to do? It's just a direct contradiction there for me. Um, skipping on to the last summary paragraph of that same section. Politely pointing out where details don't match up means the, interviewing, means the lying interviewee now has a problem. So let, let, me, just, let me just kind of uh, 
point out the bit before. The bit before, so I've just read the interviewee stage, right? Then there's step two, it says the investigator stage, right? And then there's the challenge stage. So the challenge stage, step three, that's the bit just before the line I just read out. I'll read out the challenge stage for you. Challenge stage. You reach the decision that you believe them or not. Does the story hold up? Does it make sense? If so, say thank you very much and take a statement. If not, move on to the challenge stage. Polite, and then this is where they go onto the line I just read out. Politely pointing out where details don't match means the lying interviewee now has a problem. This is a huge jump. We have just gone from challenge, which is this doesn't line up with that. Your statement doesn't line up with that. You said this, CCTV says that. We're now calling them a lying interviewee. They are full on liars now. And the next line says they've got to try and patch up any cracks with another lie. They are, these guys are full on liars now. They're not confused. They're not misplaced any information. They're not in shock or stress, but they're straight up liars. I just think for me, that's a massive jump. That is a massive jump for me. For me, the, the tone really goes down from here. When we finish off this section, it says probably actually one of the most uncomfortable lines in this. And I know I said that about one of the others a minute ago, but this is just one of the most uncomfortable um, here. Or is it? No, 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 it's not. It's the one that's later on. Um, so anyway, let me get back to a point. I was jumping ahead. This, this, the tone really goes, goes downhill from there. So let me read it out. That's what's called the cognitive load. And that's when you can get people tied up. The more challenges you put in, the more they've got to lie and the more complicated it becomes for them. We are full on in gotta catch them all mode here. We are full on safety professional here to catch the bad guy mode. Like Jesus. Whew. Right, let's crack on. Um, I've written explicit in my notes here, but I'm going to try not to say it out of respect for how sensitive this conversation is. Um, next section is common mistake. A classic mistake is to say, I know all about this. I've got all the witnesses. You can just come clean. A frightened person will admit, that, will admit it, but somebody who has got all their wits about them will say, well, if you know all about it, there's no point in me being here. I'm off for a cup of tea. In that paragraph, just how it reads. A classic mistake is to say, I know all about this. I've got all the witnesses. You can just come clean. What the fuck? Oh my. Like, is this, is this the, is this a fucking bill or something? Like, I feel like I'm about to go, Mary, mother of Christ. That's a terrible Irish accent, but you know what I mean. If you know, you know. You know, I feel like I'm sitting there with Kate and, and Steve, and I'm the Irish one in the middle, who's just about to say, we've got ya. Oh, it just doesn't make sense. I feel like, what are we? We're in the bill. We're in bad boys. We're in Starsky and Hutch or something. We're in line of duty. I just, I feel like this is it's just somebody who's watched too many cop shows. That's what it feels like to me. I understand that that's not Andy. The, you know, I understand Andy's background is vast. It's experience. I get that. I'm not denying that. 
But that paragraph, to me, for somebody who isn't as experienced as Andy, somebody that isn't as experienced, the journalist has wrote that, and it's just going to encourage people that watch fucking Line of Duty last week, they're going to be like, yeah, I'm, I'm Steve Arnott, and I'm going to go in and, and I'm going to catch these people out. I just think it's dangerous. I think it's really dangerous. Moving on to the next section, which is called Liar Psychology. Ugh, Liar Psychology. Oh, my God. As if they just wrote that in massive purple writing on their magazine. Ugh, Liar Psychology. The first paragraph says, You may be told things you know aren't true, but that could be an honest mistake by the witness. Normally, people correct themselves and slightly adjust what they remember as it becomes clearer. One indicator of a liar is that they can recite the whole story top to bottom with no mistakes. So hang on a minute. Well, hang on a minute. One indicator of a liar is that they can recite the whole story from top to bottom. So fuck me. Even if I've got a good memory, I'm a liar. I've just been... Is that because you've just spent the last hour trying to catch me out? So therefore, I'm, I'm what? I'm, I'm, I'm what? Really experienced in being caught out? So I'm, I'm like a... I'm like a professional organizational terrorist or something it just uh, yeah, I don't know anyway again I said I was gonna try not to get too passionate about this this is the this is the line this is the line this line's been quoted but this is the line bounce all over the place asking them questions uh, sorry let me get this right where's the comma there it is Bounce all over the place, asking them, asking them questions, as this will send their cognitive load through the roof. So it's telling you, as the interviewer, you need to use your in your questioning is to bounce all over the place, asking them questions all, from all over the place, and that's going to send their cognitive load through the roof. It's going to send their cognitive load through the roof. Let me just get you the definition of cognitive load. In cognitive psychology, the cognitive load refers to the used amount of working memory resources. There are three types of cognitive load. Intrinsic cognitive mode, mode, load, fuck's sake, can't speak today. Load is the effort associated with a specific to topic. Extraneous cognitive load refers to the way information or tasks are presented to the learner. And germane cognitive load refers to the work put into creating a permanent store of knowledge so how your brain works basically right to withdraw information remember information store information right so we're going to send their cognitive load through the roof to me that just sounds like stress you're going to send their cognitive road road through the roof just makes you feel uncomfortable if someone's cognitive road through the cognitive load goes through the roof, that's really hard to say, surely they're stressed. And I think here at this point, we really have to remember that if we as safety professionals are doing this, in this moment, we still have a duty to that person we're interviewing because they are still our employees. Whether they're, whether they're lying or not, and it is what they stop myself, whether they're lying or not, it doesn't matter, they're still our employee. And we still have a duty to protect their health and welfare. See, I'm no psychologist, I'm no legal expert, I'm no expert in psychology, investigating or anything like that. But for me, this opens you up to be sued under the civil courts at least. 
It really does. You're purposely, you're purposely putting a person in a position of stress. And you're literally designing the environment. You're, you're structuring your conversations to, quote, send their cognitive load through the roof, e.g. stress them out. So then we move on to the next paragraph. Another option is to ask them to tell their story in reverse. Again, very stressful. Starting with the incident and working backwards, you could explain that people remember more details this way. So you're not trying to trap them, but if they're lying, it will show. So we're not trying to trap them. What are we trying to do? So we're not trying to find them guilty. We're not trying to trap them. What's the point of this article then? I, I just think we don't, we really don't know what we're trying to achieve here. If we're trying to catch someone out, if it's our job to find someone who's guilty, fair enough, this article makes sense. If it's not our job, then this article does not make sense. But this article doesn't even tell us what we're trying to achieve here. It said at the top, we're not trying to find someone guilty. Here it says we're not trying to find, uh, we're not trying to trap someone. But yet, throughout the whole thing, it's designed to try and catch someone lying. And to find the truth. What's the difference between finding someone lying and finding the truth and not trying to trap them and not trying to find someone guilty. It doesn't make no sense to me. It makes no sense whatsoever. I'll move on to the next section. Question and taking a statement, it's called. After the interview, you must take a statement. The most common mistake I've seen, this is the most common mistake I've seen in very serious accidents. So there they're saying that the person, the interviewer, must take the statement themselves, not the interviewee. For me, this is the clear indication of the issue that we don't even trust people to write a statement. We don't even trust people to give us an account for what happened on the day. We don't trust them at all. I think it shows that there's an assumption that the safety profession knows better than anyone, than anyone else, which frankly is something I've been trying to move away from for about 10 years. So it is painful for me to read stuff like this. It brings us back to me being positioned to, as the expert what what gives me the right to be positioned as the expert because because what I've, I've done a knee bosh for two weeks it just if, if this is where we want to be then it needs to be harder to become a safety professional it needs to be a much more stringent experience and educational route to get us as a qualified safety professional because i'm telling you now i am not qualified to do this I am not competent to do this in any way, shape or form. So if this is what I see as my role, it's incorrect. I'm incorrect in being here. It's one or the other. They're incorrect or I'm incorrect. I should not be in this profession. So which one is it? What is our job? <sighs> I mean, if we've got to consider here, like... The state of stress this person's in like when you're under a state of stress your your blood is pumping to your arms and your legs and your lungs and things that make you ready to fight or flight right and, we, and we're asking them to recount these these stressful experiences eg tell me about when you drove a forklift into bob like that's stressful on its own and we're creating a very stressful environment and then, well, no wonder we don't want them to fucking write down their own statement. I wouldn't want them to write down anything. 
they're in a period of stress, not going to be able to think straight at all. A period of stress. I mean, a state of stress after going through a period of stress. And then we're asking them to recount that period of stress. Oh, that's messy, man. Very, very messy. Right, I'm coming to the end. Last point, and then I'm going to go through my closing points. The final line of the article. Any competent health and safety manager should be able to achieve this, but it requires them to refocus and be aware of the potential and unusual circumstances they may face. I completely, vehemently, passionately disagree with this whole line. We are not competent to do that, and I think it's naive of IOSH to write this article and say that any safety manager should be able to accompany, accomplish any of that. I actually think it might be strategic of them. I think it might be a shameless attempt from IOSH to plug their own competency framework that frankly, clearly falls far short from the required finish line as to a comp that, that achieves a competent health safety professional. I think we have no clear idea as to what that is. Therefore, there's no way that we can achieve a, 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 a clear and, and correct skills framework because we still don't really understand what the safety professional actually is i think there needs to be some kind of ethical and philosophical conversations need to be had there as to what defines a safety professional what are our ethics and what do we exist for but ultimately it, to me that last paragraph just it, i think it's shameless i really do think that's shameless after reading all of that we're taking experience we're taking an article from somebody who's had extensive if you look at andy's background he has had extensive extensive experience in in incident investigation police force investigation and now we're saying that any competent health and safety manager should be able to achieve this no way no way no, I've been doing this 10 years. I could not interview somebody like that. Never. Never. And if that's wrong, I'll quit tomorrow. But I don't think it is wrong because I don't think that's our job. I think that's a shameless attempt to them to say, yes, our, our competency framework is correct. Anyway, moving on to my closing points. For me, there's, there's one still remaining question here, which is, is it our job to find the truth? And if so, what is true? Because I need to know that if I'm looking for it. This article and the subsequent debate for me highlights some clear, some very clear and serious issues. Things like, do we still really not have a grasp of what the safety professional is? Are we police officers? Are we an internal police officers? Are, are we these kind of empathetic coaches that the kind of so-called new view um, position us as? Which one is it? Or, or, or is it both? If so, then there needs to be separate skills frameworks for both. Our qualifications and skills framework, as I've alluded to several times, are not fit for purpose. They do not cover the skills required for us to carry out the role. And finally, I think it shows how far out of touch bodies like IOSH are from the current science that is being published for our profession. I would just like to finish on that a very clear caveat, the same as the um, disclaimer at the end of this, that these are my own opinions, my own comments on this article. They are not reflective to any of the organisations that I'm involved in other than Rebound and Safety. Rebound and Safety is my podcast, my YouTube channel. 
and I use it to reflect my opinions and to use as a channel to communicate everyone else's opinions. And they are only opinions. Some are based on facts and some are based on science, but ultimately they are that person's opinions and thoughts. That is it. it has no reflection on any of the organizations I, I reflect, I uh, represent. Project Miletium will be doing some work around this and I'm working to get Andy onto this podcast to hopefully hear his side because I think that's very important. I think that we also need to remember within our LinkedIn comments and within our debate was this is a passionate debate and whilst I have been very passionate through this, I, I mean no offence to Andy. I'm just passionate. I mean no offence to the journalist that wrote this. I'm just passionate. But ultimately, we need to hear both sides of the story. IOSH have been extremely quiet on this and it's very important we hear their side of the story. And that is why I offer the place to Andy as well to come on this podcast. And if anybody like Duncan Spencer, for example, who has issued a response article, which I asked him to comment on on LinkedIn, wants to come on this podcast and discuss this as well, I'd happily have them both on here together or separately if they want to. We'll make it bonus material. We have got content booked all the way up to the end of the year, but I'm happy to put that out as bonus. But ultimately, everything that we said in this podcast is my own opinion and has no reflection on any of the organisations that I represent. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. I'll be interested in your comments. Um, again, I understand this is a very passionate and sensitive uh, debate. I meant no offence to anybody. Uh, but ultimately, I am very passionate about what we do and uh, I do a lot of work to try and help us um, be better as a safety professional if you would like to get better yourself then i genuinely believe that project Miletium is the place for you it's a mastermind community for health and safety professionals we would love to have anybody and anyone because we welcome dissent we welcome conversations or we welcome cognitive diversity even though the word dissent is a bit sensitive in this debate <laughs> um so if you want to try it out for free, DM me or DM Colin Nottage or just email us at me at Project Miletium or just contact me anywhere um, and including our website as well. There's a little form you can request um, a free of charge uh, trial there as well. So you can come on one of our weekly calls completely free of charge if you want to try it out. And don't forget to check out Paradigm Human Performance HSC subscription service for those of you that are small, medium-sized enterprises looking for a little bit of support, whether it's Kickstart or whether it's just our ongoing support, they can help you out. So please check them out. All the details are in the description below. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. I'll catch you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson. Thank <laughs> you.